1: and welcome to New Books in Science Fiction. I'm Dan Hanks, your guest host for this particular podcast, and today I'm delighted to be talking to a wonderful author whose debut book is so fast-paced and thrilling and full of virtual reality mind-bending moments, I'm going to title this the Whoa! episode. The novel in question is called Deep Dive. It was written by Ron Walters and published by Angry Robot this January 2022. And it's a little bit Matrix, a little bit Inception, and with my current favourite trope of sad dad at the centre of it all. I absolutely love this book, and I know you will too, so let's find out a little bit more about how it came to be. Ron, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today?
0: I'm doing well.
1: So, we're here to talk about Deep Dive, your novel, which is uh, just released this week,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which has, uh, I'm sure, been very exciting for you.
0: It has. It's surreal but yeah. <laughs> now
1: first of all um for our listeners out there can you give us the perfectly perfected author's pitch for the book i knew i should have practiced
0: it time. <laughs> um in a nutshell deep dive is about a video game developer named peter bannock who's struggling to get a new project off the ground after his most recent project uh was released to fairly dismal reviews um and to that end he partners with a friend and tech genius who's developed a new virtual reality headset and the day that peter goes to test the headset uh, something goes wrong knocks him out and when he comes to he finds that his life is completely altered. Um, his daughters no longer exist and he's not the failure that he thought he was, but he's actually hugely successful. And so he spends the story trying to figure out what's real, what's not, you know, searching for his daughters, even though everyone else, including his wife, said they never existed.
1: I mean, when I was first given that blurb for the book, and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> this, is, this is going to be something that um, as a father connects with me. And I think it's, I think it's going to do really well from that, just that, that angle as well. And we're going to get into that a bit more in, in a little bit. Um, but can you tell us what was the spark that, that gave you the the idea for this fantastic story?
0: Honestly, it, it would probably have to be, um, frustration at at not having them published because um, deep dive's actually the ninth book that i've ever written um oh. so i've been i've been writing for i want to say writing books for 12 years give or take yeah um and so i would i'd hit a point where i'd come close to a book deal come close to some you know milestones but not that one not you know book deal book on the shelf that sort of thing yeah um so i was real frustrated and um it was pretty much kind of going to be my last ditch effort. Like I was going to give this book a chance. Um, and so it just wound up that I'd channeled all of that frustration into the character. Um, at the same time, I had also just kind of recently gotten back into video games, slightly obsessively. So, <laughs> and, um, and I kind of, and I obviously didn't want to be too autobiographical. So I was like, Hey, video game developer, that would be a cool main character to write about which then naturally led into um, the prospect of using virtual reality. And then once I had that, um, a couple other things fell into place and I landed on the whole notion that, you know, he's struggling um, to balance his work and family life. And then, well, what happens if that's all like ripped out from under him? His daughters are compl- just wiped out of existence. Um, and then he's also given the very thing that he's been struggling to get this whole time, you know, success.
1: Yeah. So you just going back a step. I mean, you you talk about this being slightly, or you you wanted to avoid being autobiographical. So is there a lot of your parental struggles in this? Because obviously, you know, like you say, Peter's a loving family man, but he is struggling between balancing that that work and life.
0: There's definitely me in him. You know, my my frustration and and that 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 desperation to like to to hope that you're not wasting your time that you haven't put all this effort into something for so many years only to have it just kind of you know turn into nothing I mean in terms of the parenting absolutely like um I definitely you know put my parenting self into him um the two girls in the story are they're modeled after my kids and it's funny because I was actually just writing up a question an answer to a question like this um and I realized that as much as the girls are modeled on mine in terms of like behaviors and stuff. The things that they, they say and they do in the book are also pretty much things that most kids say and do. Yeah. So it's autobiographical to a certain extent, but it's also fairly universal. Like any parent I know will immediately go, Oh, yeah, my kids have done that. They've scratched on that wall. They've, you know, written messages in crayon where they shouldn't have or you know, left their toys on the floor and I have a hole in my foot now because of it, you know.
1: Have you ever talked to anybody about some of the elements that you've, you've worked into here and then been surprised to discover
0: that this is a universal
1: experience? Because I think, I mean, especially lately in the past couple of years, you know, parents might have felt a little bit more siloed, a bit more alone in their experiences. And it's only when you start talking to other people, you realize actually we're all going through the same thing.
0: I think so. I mean, I would say not so much in my, my like personal and real life life. Um, It's we're in a weird situation where in in terms of our our work group and our friend group, um, there aren't many other parents who have children like our age. There's a few that have younger kids or their kids are all grown and out of the house. Yeah. Um, But no, in talking, talking to people online, I see that frustration and that, that, that struggle to like, how do you, you know, handle parenting, especially right now? Um, With the way things are going, whether it's how do you deal with school, how do you deal with socializing, how do you deal with all of that stuff? Um, So I wouldn't say that I necessarily had conversations about that specifically because of the book. Yeah. But that well, and I guess technically I wrote the first draft of the book was written like I finished the first draft like March 1st, 2020. So like 15 days later, <laughs> and, and then we already had inklings that like things were about to turn, you know, but um, and so maybe subconsciously some of that was was feeding into it as well.
1: Yeah. Would you say that, I mean, the idea of a, a father or a parent um, trying to balance their pursuit of success with their home life and trying to be a good parent? Do you think that's kind of a topic of our time?
0: I think so yeah um this is probably the part where i start to ramble and, and lose my train of thought <laughs> because like there's a whole bunch to unpack with that i think because i think maybe we're the generation where in terms of doing what we want to do is important to us and so we do our best to fit that in and when we find that it's not working we do our best to make it work Whereas maybe generations back, it was you kind of accepted your lot in life. And even if you had this dream, maybe, well, life seemed to be getting in the way. And that was just life. Yeah. You know, so I like to think that we're more willing to push through that and not accept what we don't want. Yeah. Um, I also think, I don't know if every parent is like this, but for me, I love my children. I want my children to grow up, you know, loved and, and taken care of. And I want to be the best father I can be but I'm still a person outside of being a father. Like being a father is not, it is who I am, but it's not who I am. Right. And I think maybe that's an attitude that's, that's changed or changing a bit. Whereas it maybe not for everyone, but I know I do see people who talk about like their identity is being a parent. And I'm like, that's great. But what happens in my mind is that you start to lose a bit of yourself and that can, that can add frustration that, that doesn't need to be there. Um, so yeah the the balance of that is that's the hard part though
1: yeah i've got i mean i i certainly there was a lot of that that connected with me being someone who tried to retain that individuality but lost it completely by being sucked into being a parent (laughs) being part of the family and it's only sort of recently i've been trying to get back to yeah to that
0: i don't know and i'm i mean i'll be the first to say that i'm i'm in a pretty lucky position um because I um, I was a stay at home dad. My wife's job is let it basically let me stay home once we decided we were going to have kids. Um, so up until they're my oldest is 12 and the youngest is nine. And so up until they both started school, I was home, yeah. you know, with them all day long, taking care of them. So in a lot of ways, I wasn't really dealing with being a working dad and missing a lot of things with them. yeah um, for me, it was more trying to find those, those nooks and crannies where I could fit in writing, whether it was, like, nap time um, or, you know, when my wife came home, I would either, you know, run off, go to the gym or something or, or just disappear and try to write for an hour or two. Um, but I was definitely lucky that I didn't have that huge professional burden. So I was able to kind of start going after writing I guess, yeah. if that makes sense. You know, yeah. whereas maybe if I had already had a profession, like I did, I worked as a journalist in the States before we moved overseas. Um, but then I was having problems finding a job here. And then we just decided, you know, we'll, we'll just do this. We'll have kids and you can stay home. My wife, you know, teach and everything.
1: Yeah. Obviously, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the parenting angle of this book. Um, this is a very science fiction-y book. Um, it's a wonderful thriller. But the emotional core is that sort of fatherly angst, which is just God, it's so heartbreaking (laughs) for so much of it. Um, But it really, it really drags you through. I I absolutely loved it. Um, Did you draw on any of your own parenting challenges in some aspects of this or any parenting fears?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, I get freaked out when my kids are too quiet. You know, And or if they're supposed to be one place and they're not there, Um, especially if they've run down to the park or even if they're, you know, I expect that they're going to be upstairs playing and I go and they're nowhere to be seen. (laughs) So that definitely sparked the whole, well, why not just torture this poor man character and make his children completely disappear? You know, Um, plus then you're taking away the thing that he feels neglectful of, you know? Yeah. And so you're just adding to, to his angst. Um, but yeah, no, for sure. It's it's that it's that trying to, like I said earlier, like hold on to that sense of self and, and doing what I want to do for myself that's gonna make me feel like I'm still a whole person, not just a parent who's had to give up things. Um and and, and as a parent, you give up things. That's just the nature of being a parent. And that's that's fine, you know. I'm on board with that. Um but even though I made a point of wanting to write because it was what I wanted to do, there was still a lot of it, especially when everyone's home, you know, on the weekends or the afternoons, if, you know, I've been home or if they've been gone all day or whatever, and I still sit down once everyone's home, there's still that voice in the back of my head saying, well, why are you taking this time for yourself? Why aren't you stopping for the day and going to hang out with everyone else? Yeah. You know, even if I've had a productive day, I, I think that's, that's the part where that, that kind of manic drive to succeed, even once you feel like you've succeeded, you still, there's always something, some goal you're trying to hit, some milestone you're looking for. Um, and so that's definitely a constant struggle, um, making myself check out of what I was doing to kind of immerse myself back into my family. And they're, you know, they're amazing about it. You know, they've never once complained if I disappear. Um, and sit in a chair for five hours staring at the screen.
1: <laughs> That's good. So it sounds like this was kind of a cathartic experience almost and in a way.
0: Yeah, I think so. Um I I, I wish I could say it was so cathartic that I feel freed <laughs> of that angst and guilt. I don't. Are we ever free? No. I think that, yeah. Um I, but no, it, it was cathartic. It it was good because it, okay. I will be honest. It helped that the book got published. Yeah. Um, and so that I won't say that I've calmed down in terms of feeling that manic drive to get things done and to succeed, but I at least think more about calming down. And do you feel particularly pleased that, I mean, if you've written, is this the ninth
1: book? So you've written eight previously. Yes. So are you, are you particularly pleased that this is the one that you your debut is this the am. one that means the most to you?
0: It does, I think so. And I think because I put so much of myself into it, and because it was that book that was, it was basically like I'm not going to let publishing break me. Like I feel worn down, I feel close to the breaking point, but I don't want to give up. Yeah, and so that's kind of what fed into that. And so yeah, the fact that this is it um, is fantastic. The funny thing is that after I got the, you know, the email that, you know, Angry Robot wanted to publish the book. Um, at the same time, I had had an, a middle grade book that I had written previously um, that I had also sent to a couple of smaller publishers. And about two months after Angry Robot picked up Deep Dive, I got an email from one of the smaller publishers saying they wanted to publish that middle grade book. So after 12 years of nothing, well, 10 years at that point, I, in the space of two months, I had two book deals. Which was just like I. St- the other one isn't out until the end of this year, but I'm still. It's like I don't even know how that happened. Fantastic, you know. But no, I'm. I'm. I think I'm. I'm happy that this is the one. I look back at all of my other books, and there are some that I think are still good and still good enough to be published. It just wasn't the right time, you know. Um. And will but, you will you go back and revisit those at some point? I think there's there's a couple that I might. Um. The funny thing is they're all middle grade. This is actually. It's not technically my first adult book. The first book I ever wrote was like an adult um, urban fantasy. Um, but this is like, this is my first real like adult book that I'm proud of. And it's my first thriller. I was actually surprised that that's what I wound up writing when I wrote it. Yeah. Um,
1: and is that the kind of book you normally read or you, do you read quite broadly?
0: I read, read really broadly. I mean right now I'm reading a Norse-inspired fantasy. I read middle grade books all over the place. I read thrillers. I read it's all fantasy and science fiction. I can't ever bring myself to just read straight contemporary.
1: I mean do you think that you'll continue to write more in this genre or
0: um I yes. Um I have an idea that I think fits in line with this one. I also have something else I've been working on that does fit in line this one. But is not quite as thriller, thrillery. <laughs> it's, it's got aspects of, of the whole virtual reality stuff, but it has a lot of um, epic fantasy elements to it as well. Um, so it's not, it's definitely not a thriller in the sense that Deep Dive was meant to be a thriller. Yeah. Um, but I do think it it still fits, you know, in that vein a little bit. Um, honestly, I, I don't, Have you ever read China Mieville?
1: I have. Um, is it um, Perdido Street Station?
0: That was. That was the. Yeah, that was his second book. That's like the one that really kicked kicked off his career. Yeah, I love the. I love his books. I just. I adore them. Um, and one of the things I love is that they're all different. He set out to basically write a book in every genre imaginable. So all of his books are different kinds of books, but they are very distinctly China mieva books. And I think maybe that's what I hope to do you know, I know brand is important and you want your readers, your readers do expect a certain thing. But I also, for me personally, even when it comes to reading, I can read one book, but then I don't necessarily want to read that same kind of book as my next book. I like to branch out and, you know, just different flavors here and there.
1: So you'd be quite happy to to sort of hold on to your voice, but try new yeah. ways of telling stories. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, then I, I can't wait to read more from you. But you said that you said you're going to have some more um virtual reality or at least another element of that in your in a future work perhaps
0: yeah i think so i'm always weird about talking about books that aren't done you know um but yeah it'll be a jumping off point let's say it'll be in some ways though the opposite like an inversion of deep dive if that makes sense without getting into details obviously
1: (laughs) so the virtual reality features quite significantly in deep dive yeah. um is that something you spent a lot of time doing research about or did you know about it already or have you sort of played fast and loose with it
0: um i think a little bit of both okay i mean obviously i'm aware of virtual reality you know um whether it's games or, or what's it what's in movies and that sort of thing um but i remember when i kind of landed on the so that this is also the problem with talking about this is that the so-called twist at the end of my book kind of requires not mentioning too much um, but what I wanted the book to what I wanted to happen at the end of the book, virtual reality allowed me to do that. I mean it's completely implausible I'm assuming scientifically who knows um, but virtual reality was a really good gateway to get there. And so when I decided I was going to use VR, I started reading up on it a little bit you know random articles here and there. And then when I landed on um, the kind of technology that would allow you to be so immersed that you couldn't distinguish the virtual world from the real world, I was like, that's, that's kind of where I wanted to go. Not to the level that, say, like Ready Player One took it where you have this giant metaverse um, where everyone lives and works in. Um, I wasn't going to do that, but I definitely think that the technology I have set up in the book is the kind of thing that would eventually lead to that sort of, you know, scenario. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I research some, but my, some of my my writing friends like to make fun of me because I don't like to research that much. Partly, I just, I just my mind doesn't do that. I don't spend hours and hours pouring over, you know, material. Um, and partly because once I get an idea, I also don't want to be too influenced by the stuff that I've read. I don't want to, you know, kind of, I guess, cheat my way into it. I want it just to be all from my head.
1: Yeah. And does that sort of play into the, your writing process? So are you more of a, um, you sort of, you can meander. You don't need to necessarily plot it in great detail. You kind of um, yeah. find your way I
0: used I used to be, um, I used to not plot at all. I would just start and write until I got to the end. And the revisions were hell. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, I actually much prefer revising over drafting a book. Once I have the bookend of the beginning and the end, I will tear that thing apart. I will do whatever needs to be done with it. But it's just that initial writing that's always the toughest part. Um, but I, in the, the last few years, I've become something of a plotter where I might have like a page that I, I write down the stuff that I think I want to happen. And I do like to have an end in mind. If I don't feel like I have an end goal, then I do feel like I'm meandering too much. I feel a little lost. Um, but even if I write down like a synopsis or, or an outline, um, a lot of times what I wind up writing is not what was on that thing. And a lot of that I think is because it, you know, it's the whole hokey thing of oh my characters speak to me. But once you start writing them, for me. As much as I might have a plot in mind, the plot has to unfold from what the characters are doing. And so if I happen to write a scene and they do something I wasn't really expecting, well, then that causes the plot to deviate and then there goes my outline. Um, But in general, though, the ending tends to stick. I knew setting out with Deep Dive, I knew exactly where I wanted it to go. Um, And so that's helpful. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window.
1: And did you know when you set out to write it how you were going to get there? I mean, you've, you've talked about – I mean, it's quite – we won't go into specifics, but it went in directions I did not expect and anticipate. And was that something you had planned or were you not expecting it either?
0: Um, that's a good question. I, well, I'm trying to think back through it because as much as I've read this book countless times – Like, trying to recall everything, and it is still hard. Um, I think some of the main beats in the story, like, the main events that happen, I knew I wanted in there. Um, I mean, without, you know, spoilers and stuff. I think, like, the cabin scene, um, that was always going to be in there. That was going to be, like, a turning point. Um, Maybe the midpoint, I guess um the family dynamics were always going to be there at the beginning and i knew i wanted some sort of you know clandestine sketchy government agency involved in some capacity you have to have that of course i mean you have to it you know it's tropey it's been there done that but i love it i am a sucker for it and i'm i hope i think a lot of people are you know And so, no, I think, I think, you know, once I started, once I was, when I wrote it, I did give thought to some of that stuff. But then once I had the draft and especially once the book was bought and I was going through the um, revision process, um, I was more conscious of what I had done and more conscious of how I wanted to play with that as I revised the book. Um, You know, I, I tried to put in, I tried to put in some references and some, um, I don't know events that might make people question some of the things that were happening. Um, I just heard a dog. (laughs) It means there's someone outside. Yeah, but, um, no, so I, I definitely wanted it to hit. I wanted to have some of those traditional thriller, you know, things for lack of a better word happen. Um, I guess, I don't know, I guess for me, I mean, I'm curious, like, I guess the problem is getting into spoilers, but like, I don't know what readers will see on it as unexpected, just because I know the book, even though I can't recall everything about it. I I still know the book really well. So for me, it's not unexpected. Yeah. So the idea of looking at it with completely fresh eyes, like I'm, I am curious, like what people's takeaway
1: well, I mean I love the setup I think the setup is magnificent and you know you play with that so well and you 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 hit all the beats you need to and then and then the way you resolve it in the second half of the book is just you know I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to go in those in those particular places and it was just it was fabulous because I and it's such a page turner as well I mean it is a thrilling page turning book, but it, with a lot of heart in it, which was um, which was surprising because, you know, in a lot of these page turners, you don't always get that characterization and that sort of emotional draw.
0: I mean, I will say for that for sure is something I wanted to do because I personally don't like reading books that don't have that that emotional depth to them which is funny because a lot of times with first drafts, the notes that I get are you need to add more emotion. (laughs) But even if whether it's a book or a video game, like if I don't have that connection with the characters and really feel that aspect of it, I'm just I kind of check out. Yeah. Um, So I definitely as much as um, I wanted it to have that thriller vibe, I also wanted it. I, I knew that it needed to have that 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 emotional core because that's the thing that you know it plots are a dime a dozen like i mean there's I, as much as um i like what i did with mine i won't say that it's the most wholly original thing in the world at all but i think that that's fine because as long as you've established a connection between the readers and the characters which is what i wanted to do um then your gold. then you can almost write any plots this emotional
1: core at the center of it um is to do with parenting and one of the things that I don't know if you've seen talked about online in the last couple of years, at least is a sort of push for more parenting in science fiction and fantasy. Um, and I think we've, we, you know, we know there are parents as characters, but we don't often see parenting in in there and sort of those, those challenges and those worries and those fears. Um, do you think we need more of that in, in science fiction and fantasy? And do you, Do you see any reason why maybe we haven't traditionally had that in the past?
0: Oh, I absolutely think we need it. Um, I mean, just in terms of, I mean, think about, I mean, I'm thinking about my age group. We're, I mean, we're not all parents, obviously, but you know, a lot of people my age, a lot of people I know who read science fiction and fantasy are parents. Um, And it goes back to the whole idea of wanting to kind of see yourself reflected in fiction. Um, And so, yeah, absolutely, you know, seeing parents on page is hugely important and nice when it happens. I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain, like, what books have I read? Uh, Yours deals with parenting, Swashbuckler's deals with parenting. Yeah. Um, And I'm just, I'm having trouble thinking of books that really incorporate parenting into not just the character arc, but the plot. Yeah. You know
1: I can't think of many to be honest although I'm not <laughs> widely read these days just because I'm super. So that, that's but... the other right <laughs> so I'm sure I'm sure they're out there but it is it has been nice to see see it in um, So my son and I are watching Hawkeye at the moment and there's definitely there's show. definitely some brilliant nods to having to parent and
0: be a superhero <laughs> at the same mm-hmm. time hey I'm not gonna lie going into Hawkeye not the biggest fan of Hawkeye having finished the show I love him I absolutely love him it was such a it's probably my favorite show they've done yeah it's just stupendous.
1: yeah same I mean one division did obviously deal with the idea of family and there was a lot of, of parenting issues in that Yeah. but I think um we're only halfway through Hawkeye at the moment but it's just mm-hmm. been it's been fabulous to see this character who I guess wasn't traditionally the favorite of many people right. yeah um And he and seeing him do very down to earth parenting things is is quite fascinating. So, I mean, you and I have a panel soon talking about such things. So I guess we better (laughs) we need to read (laughs) up up on some on some stuff. Um,
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, to, to go back to what you were saying, your question though, like I don't know why. Since I mean, just taking the two of us, like if we can't think of many, I don't know why there aren't that many books that really use parenting. Um, the Second Bell,
1: Gabriella Houston, yeah. um, that, that's talking about um, a mother and that's, that's a fabulous book as well. It's sort of a very intimate p- a fairy tale. Um, and um, Composite Creatures, uh, mm-hmm. Caroline Hardacre as well, has some parenting elements to it as well. Which has been good. So maybe it's Angry Robot. Angry Robot are it could championing, be, I,
0: yes, <laughs> parenting
1: in science fiction and fantasy.
0: Well, I will say it's not a book, but one of my favorite video games is God of War, um, and the 2018 one. I, I don't know if you've ever played any of them. I played
1: prior to that, but okay. Yes. So
0: the whole the whole thing with this one is it's it's not like it, it's an older Kratos. He's you know put his past behind him, you know, sort of, and he has a son. Um, and so the game is the plot is that they're going to go, um, his Kratos, his wife has died and they're going to spread her ashes from the tallest peak. Um, and he's Kratos is now a dad without a wife and he clearly hasn't really been a dad this whole time. So now, you know, he's fighting monsters and trying to be a parent and that alone, I was just floored when I started playing the game because, you know, I mean, it's a fun game to play. Absolutely fun. Um, but once the narrative really got going and I realized this was actually a story about a father trying to be a good father and and figuring out how to be a parent I was I was hooked like that will forever be one of my favorite games simply because of the narrative and it's amazingly fun to play it's so gruesome (laughs) it's just so much fun
1: they are great games but I I sort of stopped when my kids were you know about I can't remember five, six, seven. Yeah, and then it just became too too challenging, mainly because they were on my PlayStation, <laughs> and I therefore I couldn't be. Um, uh, and now they're pestering me to get a PlayStation Five, and I'm like, do you know what? They don't exist in this country unless you. Uh, they sign don't up. exist
0: here either, right? I mean, I've been trying. Yeah, it's so crazy. Well, my they both like to mine like to play some games on their iPads. My youngest has started getting interested in games on the consoles. So now I'm starting to, you know, I'm like, well, do we have to share this? This was mine. What are you doing here? Do you play games together? We haven't yet. Um, actually, I was trying to um get my wife to play a game called It Takes Two. Okay. Um, I don't play, I don't play co ops or multiplayer. I play single player games. You know, I don't play online. It's just me. It's just something I want to do. You know, for myself. Um, but now that you say that I probably should look into some games that I could actually play side by side. We enjoyed the Lego
1: games. Yeah. Um, so the, like the, the boys love the Marvel, um, mm-hmm. the Marvel games. And I think, um, the Batman universe as well was a lot of fun to play in. Yeah.
0: See, I'll have to do that. I think it would be fun because, you know, I'm sitting here kind of, it's hard to let her play and figure it out while also giving her suggestions when she needs them. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why it's, you know, the yeah, the the Lego games are just fantastic for sort of bringing you in yeah, at, quite slowly and, and carefully, which is nice. Uh, and now I play Fortnite with them
0: and they absolutely kick my ass <laughs> 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 because I'm old and slow. Oh, it's just it's so funny because I my girls don't want anything to do with Fortnite or Marvel or. Anything like that. I don't know if it's because it seems to be predominantly boys in their schools who are playing that or talking about that and they're still young enough where boys ooh. Yeah. You know. Um I have no doubt that given enough time that there'll be much I'm I am not a good gamer, you know. I just attempted oh, I just finished playing Bloodborne and I attempted to start playing Sekiro and I've gotten some ways through it, but it's just like it makes me feel bad about myself. (laughs) It's so hard.
1: That's the beauty.
0: But, you know, That's the beauty of them. It's not a bad problem to have.
1: <laughs> so, Ron, this has been your debut launch week. Um, you have uh, an event on tomorrow, which uh, I... will be in the past for listeners. Um, so, but you're launching online, aren't you? Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, partly COVID is has made everything problematic when it comes to in-person events. Um, uh partly we don't it it was just the easiest thing to do honestly yeah um it was the easiest way to since i live in germany especially anyone really who's likely to want to come is going to be in the states i mean some of our friends here you know would come for sure but um you know my family and and some of my long you know my longer my long-term friends um they're all stateside so the easiest thing to do was just to have something online
1: yeah Course, but how have you found the the launch experience so far? The build up, you know, um, the promo, everything to do with that stuff like this.
0: Uh, you know what? I I like this. I because I I like talking about writing in my books because I don't have any like writer friends in my actual like you know real life circle. Um, so all of my interactions with other writers is, it's online. You know, it's usually message boards or you know DMing or whatever. Um, so doing this sort of thing and then even writing guest posts for promo, I love it because I get to like talk about what I've been doing for 10 years. You know, people, people knew I wrote, but I think for them it was just kind of this quirky thing that I did, you know, in the background. Yeah. And so now it's nice to say, hey, this is what I've been trying to do. And now for people who aren't writers seeing that book, it's like, oh, okay, well, we get it now. Um, and it's funny though, because... <laughs> people have asked, Oh, are you excited? Your book is coming out. Your book is out. And absolutely. I'm like floored that I have a book out in the world. Um, but I've been, I've lived with this particular book for two years. I've had a book deal for a year, give or take year and a half. Um, and there are all these little milestones that happen between getting the book deal and having the book come out, all of these things. So by the time the book comes out, it's just, you know, you've lived with it for so long that there is a weird anticlimactic feeling to it as yeah. well. It's like you've just hit the summit and now you're just slowly falling back down. The <laughs> <laughs> and part of that, I think, is there is a lot of work to do really in the few weeks leading up to it. And so I was doing all kinds of uh, promo and stuff. And now you just kind of cr- you crash down from that. You know, it's a sugar high that, that suddenly is just gone. Yeah. Um, and are you going to so-
1: pull that into the next book
0: I should (laughs) when I revise it once I figure out how to 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 make sense of the mess that it is because it is an unholy mess it's probably the messiest first draft I've written in a long time really I don't know if a lot of that was the pressure of now knowing that you know it's the whole sophomore effort yeah it's you don't want your second album to be awful you want your second book to be awful so there's that pressure that wasn't there before um Also knowing it's a bit of a departure from deep dive. And so wondering, is it too much, you know, and do I, what do I need to pull back? What do I need to adjust? Um, I don't know, but no, I mean, I love that I have a book out. Um, It's a relief to have a book out too. Cause now I can say, well, yeah, I am a writer before I would, I would never ever tell anyone that I wrote, you know, I mean, people knew I did, but I wouldn't talk about it. Now it's still awkward to talk about because it's still awkward to talk about your book. It's just, I don't know if that'll ever go away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's the that's the curse, isn't it? Is that the pressure just never lifts, um, yeah. and um, it never gets less awkward for us. <laughs> the ridiculous
0: thing. I think it's ridiculous though because the pressure is all put on. We do it to ourselves. Oh, of course. Yeah. Any, I I wrote my agent the other day and I was asking him a question, and he was he was basically like, "Relax, it's fine. This will happen when." It happens. Until it happens, just keep doing what you're doing. It's fine. Like, I'm the only one who feels this this mad push to get something done now. You know? Yeah. Um, and the awkwardness is also just my personality in general. Adding writing to that personality probably wasn't the best idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think writing has made me more neurotic over the years than I ever would have become if I hadn't. <laughs> <laughs> but...
1: Well, Ron, that's a great place to leave it. Um, And this has been a pleasure. And for my first uh, co-hosting of a podcast, um, you've made it an absolute joy. So thank you very much for joining me today.
0: Well, thank you for having me. And this is my very first podcast ever. So I I hope I didn't ramble. And I hope that what I said made sense because, you know, I never know what I'm saying once I start talking.
1: (laughs) Well, that makes two of us. But I think we got there in the end and it's been it's been wonderful. And um, Deep Dive is out now by Angry Robot Books and uh, you should go and read it. And thank you very much,
0: Ron. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, that was me talking to
1: Ron Walters about his debut novel, Deep Dive, which came out in early January. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my first attempt at hosting a podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and I can't wait to come back and do this again. Please subscribe to the show if you don't already, and if you fancy leaving a positive review, well, that would just be the very best. Michael Erin of quivernyc.com composed the theme music. I'm Dan Hanks, and I edited this episode. Marshall Poe is the editor and founder of the New Books Network, and Leanne Wilson is the network's co-editor. I don't have a sign-off prepared, so I will simply say thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.